Our scripture reading today is from Romans 15. The passage can be found on page 10 of the bulletin or projected above. Romans 15, 1 through 13. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm with the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Gary. Okay, Uh, kids, if you want to grab your worship handout, I'll give you a couple of things to be listening for. First one is a science lesson from a pastor. It's going to be great. Um, Second one, uh, losing weight. And third, um, some wood family phrases. I've mentioned those before. I've got one more uh, for you today. So a science lesson, losing weight. And a Wood family phrase. So, um, grown-ups, if you need some handles uh, on where we're going. Um, we've been looking at Romans 12 through 16 this fall with the hope that we could get a, a sense of what it looks like to embody gospel community. What does it look like for us as recipients of the good news of the gospel, recipients of all that Jesus has done for us, what does it look like for us to embody that gospel community in our lives with each other? And um, one of the the lessons, I think you've heard this over and over again, uh, is that that's hard. There's a quote in your bulletin from Brian Habig, a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina. He says, Christianity is not singular, it's plural. Christianity calls us to togetherness, and togetherness is hard. And I think that that's maybe fairly obvious for you. Um, But today, we're going to look at this passage in Romans 15, and we're going to try to see that embodying gospel community looks like living in the unity that is rooted in Christ's welcome of us. So we're going to figure out how to live in the unity uh, that is rooted in Christ's welcome of his people. We're going to talk about uh, why we should care about unity, uh, how to achieve that unity, and then what are the motivations, which is really what Paul is getting at here, just a preview of the motivations. Um, Paul does this a lot in his letters um, when he wants to take a a simple subject, right, that's actually uh, pretty difficult, but a simple concept like marriage, one man and one woman in covenant together, um, 
he often goes to explain the dynamics that are happening inside that relationship at a cosmic level, right? So in Ephesians 5, for example, uh, Paul is going to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he goes to this sort of cosmic level to help give us this picture of what it looks like for husbands to love and sacrifice to give of themselves uh, for their spouses. He's going to do that here. Um, One of the things that we see in this uh, passage in Romans is that um, you, you get this sense over and over and over again, especially in the last three weeks, all of chapter 14 and the first half of 15. It's all about unity. It's all about the strong bearing with the weak, about these tensions between people in the body of Christ being overcome by Christ's love for us. And you might, if you've been here for all of those weeks, feel like, Paul, enough already. Like we get that unity is important. We understand. We, we get it. And yet, Paul has been saying and beating this drum pretty much from the beginning of Romans 12. He finishes the first 11 verses of Romans and he lays out for us uh, this beautiful picture of the gospel, of all that Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection has accomplished for us. And then he begins to say, love each other, love each other, have unity, strong, bear with the weak, And you could go all the way through all of these chapters and you hear over and over and over again this need for Christians to love each other well, to have unity in the spirit. Now, why is that? Um, Kids, here's your science lesson for today. um, And and this is going to be brief. Um, There is a law called the second law of thermodynamics. Ready? Uh, Some of you know that you may have to be an older kid to kind of know about the second law of thermodynamics. Here's the picture um, that I kept uh, hearing as I was doing a little uh, reading of this. The second law of thermodynamics basically says that things move from order to less order. Um, Kids, a great example of this is your bedroom. Um, You can clean it. Actually, probably what happens is your parents get so fed up with the state of your room that they come in and do the hatchet job. Like everything on the floor goes in the bag, on the bottom of the closet, and everything looks great, right? And then you live in it for seven minutes. And what does it look like? It looks like a tornado went through right? Heard one pastor call it a joy tornado, right? Maybe some of you are that joy tornado that flies through your house and everything goes from more order to less. Um, uh, You can't, another example of this, you can't unscramble an egg, right? Things, once it's, once it's lost some of its order, you can't go back, right? Things disintegrate over time. And there is a relational, a spiritual aspect to the second law of thermodynamics. I may be stretching, uh, but I think it holds um, that there is this dynamic in our lives that relationships tend to go from order to to more disorder, right? They they become less ordered over time. Think about your well-intentioned friendships with people after a move. 
We have some of that. Even in our own lives, moving here in 2019, there are people in Blacksburg that we dearly love and that we now talk to probably once or twice a year. And it's not because we don't like them. No, we, we love them. What happens? No, we just didn't do anything about that relationship and it's disintegrated. It has gone from more order to less order over time. Do y'all, y'all feel that, right? You know that in your own lives, that if you don't work at it, it won't maintain the level of intimacy that you had before. This is true in marriages. This is true in friendships. It's true in accountability groups. All over the place, there are spiritual dynamics to this, this, our relationships going from more order to less. And the same is true for our unity. If we're not careful, we can lose the unity that Christ has given us and won for us, purchased for us. Now, why should we care about it? <laughs> we, know, we know already Paul cares about it, right? He's, he can't stop talking about it. In this passage, we see, if you look at verse 6, verses 5 and 6, we see that not only does Paul care about it, but God cares about it. And Paul is right on to care about it because God cares about it so much. Listen to this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying for the church in Rome that the God of endurance and encouragement would give to them the ability to live in harmony with each other and with Jesus because it glorifies God. It brings God pleasure when his people worship together, when they are in one accord, when they sing in one voice. It literally is one mouth, right? It's like the chorus singing with one mouth. That's the picture of what pleases God. God cares about our unity. He wants to see this unity come together. This was the intention from the beginning. We're gonna get to that in a minute. It was meant that these two disparate groups, the the Jews and the Gentiles, would ultimately come together and form this beautiful family, the bride of Christ, purchased by his life and death and resurrection. And their unity brings God great glory. It brings God great pleasure. And so we should care because it's important to God. His glory matters. And his glory matters to us as his church. And so we want to see our lives be marked by this unity. Now, how do we do it? What's the secret? This is the chance for me to give you like the seven steps to perfect unity, right? This is, the, this, is the, uh, this is what it's like, kids. Maybe you've seen some of these commercials uh, by now. Uh, the secrets to weight loss, right? If you just do this magical thing, you'll shred, right? You'll be shredded. You'll shed the pounds. They'll fall off. It'll be amazing. And you don't have to do anything. You just have to, you're right, you take this pill or you, right, drink this thing or you whatever, and it's, it's like magic. Well, There's one way to lose weight, 
I can tell you about it. I don't often practice it, but I can tell you about it. Uh, it's diet and exercise. And it's pretty much only diet and exercise, right? If you clean up your diet and you work out, you lose weight. Like that, it's magic. <laughs> That's the magic, right? That's the magic. So what's the magic in unity among God's people? Well, Paul tells us, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's step one. Don't please yourself. Verse two, let each of, each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That's step two. Don't please yourself, please your neighbor. It, that's it. That's, that's the diet and exercise of unity in the Christian life. If we want to be united to each other, we need to not seek to please ourselves, but seek to please our neighbor. Now, what does it mean to please ourselves? How does that work? A couple of diagnostic questions. Mike, Mike Kruger, um, the president of RTS Charlotte, was helpful with a couple of these. Um, his first question, what do I like or prefer? That's a dangerous question to be asking in the church. What do I like? What do I prefer? See, the... the the strong and the weak here that Paul mentions again in verse 1, uh, these are what we would call maybe disputable matters, right? Things that are, uh, could go one way or another, right? Um, we've talked about politics, that there's a breadth of um, political belief amongst God's people. And um, it's, it's not going to be an essential um, Apostles' Creed type, who is Jesus, what's the Trinity type matter, but it's going to be secondary or tertiary. Um, it could be stuff like, um, what should you wear to church? Um, it could be, uh, Brian mentioned last week, um, how you choose to school your children, whether you celebrate holidays like Halloween. These are sort of disputable matters. And in those matters, there are people that have freedom of conscience and folks who have a limited uh, freedom of conscience. And so this working together uh, means we can't only be here for what we like and what we prefer. Our desires, what we want, are often going to be disappointed in the church. We're not often going to get things exactly the way we want them. And to divide over those matters is dangerous to our unity. Uh, as we think about, we've, we've used this illustration before the last few weeks, as we think about moving into this new building, um, my prayer um, I, I pray this a lot at, at um, Presbytery and General Assembly things, right? There's a, there's a, a breadth of, of views on various matters, and I pray that um, everybody leaves a little bit disappointed, right? That not everybody gets everything they wanted. If everybody got everything they'd wanted, we'd have a hundred churches of one instead of one church with a hundred people in it. And I think the prayer for the building it's going to be amazing. We're going to be so thankful. And, and I hope there's a little bit where you don't get everything you want, right? And that Jesus uses that actually to grow our unity instead of dividing us. That there are things about the building that, gosh, maybe I wish it was this or maybe I wish that. And yet we're able to, to put those things into their proper perspective and maintain that sense of unity even with some disputed matters before us in the next couple of months. The second question, 
a diagnostic question that's a dangerous one is what do I have the right to do? When we think about this question, it's a little bit stronger than what I like or prefer. You might have the right to do all sorts of things in church, but they could potentially divide, right? Uh, we went to a, a big steeple church in St. Louis. Um, it was very, uh, a little f- more formal than here, let's say. Um, and, I, you know, there's freedom to wear um, jeans and flip-flops or shorts and flip-flops. Um, there's freedom to do that, but um, that, that, would be, um, that would be difficult there. Uh, that would be a divisive move. And there may be some things here, you know, I don't know exactly on the dress issue that we're as, um, as tight on that, but there may be other issues that you have a right, you know, we think about, Paul talks earlier about people that celebrate certain days and some that don't, or some that think it's okay to drink uh, wine and some that don't, or some that eat meat without this, um, you know, feeling these obligations and some, some that can't. If you exercise your right on these disputed matters, it can damage the unity of the body. If you assert your right over the good of your neighbor, that's a danger to our unity. Um, There's a a man mentioned in 3 John. uh, Maybe, I don't know that you've spent much time there lately. uh, But in 3 John, there's a man called Diotrephes. And... um, This is what John says about him. I've written something to the church, but but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. In the way that uh, David is marked in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, uh, this is the one you don't want. This is Diotrephes, who puts himself first. We're talking about him 2,000 years later as the guy who put himself first. Asserting our rights over the good of our neighbor who may have a different matter of conscience about whatever the issue is. Maybe maybe you're feeling a a tinge of that yourself even today. Are there ways that you've put yourself first over and above the good of your neighbor? I hope not, but I'm sure that that happens. I'm sure that there are tendencies in all of us towards that. And this is a chance for us to say, am I trying to please myself by asserting my rights over the good of my neighbor? The second step in achieving this unity is to please our neighbor for his good to build him up. So we put down our rights we put down our preferences. We, we, we give those things up for the good of our neighbor. Out of love for one another. Um, in our family, we've talked about this before, but um, there are a couple of things that we just say a million times. That our kids, we want them to know. I, I get made fun of a lot. Um, when I tell my kids not to do stuff, I usually tell them that I, lo- I love you, stop it. Right, and that goes back, right, there are two questions that all, I forget if this is from some Paul Tripp book or something, um, but the two questions are, am I loved and, and where are the boundaries, right? And so I just have been in the habit 
since our kids have been born to say, I love you and stop it. <laughs> I love you, you found the boundary. You can't go any further, right? So the other one, one of the ones that we use in our family a lot um, is go out of your way to be kind. Go out of your way to be kind. And that's, that's the s- summary that I've tried to use with our kids on this point. Go out of your way to be kind to your brother. <laughs> Go out of your way to be kind to your sister. Find some way, even if it hurts you, <laughs> even if it means that you don't get what you want, go out of your way to be kind. I think that's a good lesson for us. I need it in my own heart. I'm sure y'all do too. This step of of pleasing our neighbor for our good, to build them up, to make these disputable matters, to really push them off to the side, to see that our friends, the people that we are in family with here at the church, are loved and that they grow. We would put ourselves aside so that we could see them built up. Now, how, how in the world do we do something like that? Um, as, as it is the tendency of the world to go from more order to less order, it is not in us naturally to put away our own rights and desires um, for our neighbor. So how do we do it? What are our motivations? Well, Paul gives us a bunch here. He's going to go cosmic in just a second. But before he does that, of course, he goes to the example of Jesus. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus, who had every right to assert himself as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was born in a manger as a man lived a sinless life, dies in our place. He suffers the reproach that we deserved. He takes it on himself. He bears it so that we don't have to. He did not please himself. And that's a picture for us. As we grow in Christ's likeness by his spirit at work in our hearts, We should follow his example, but it's not just his example. Look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There are these matters where some of us are strong and some of us are weak, right? There are things like politics or whatever, schooling, or all of these things that we've talked about where some of us would say, yes, we're the strong and we have a right to this, but we're going to lay down our rights. As we look to our relationship with Jesus, we're the weak ones. It doesn't matter where you fall on all these other things. He's strong and we are weak and he bears with us. He did not please himself, but he sought to please us through his life and death and resurrection. In whatever issue you're wanting to be the strong and claim your rights, in relationship with Jesus, you're the weak. And Christ has welcomed you. He has brought you into his family with all of your failings, all of your sins. He has drawn you to himself. He is the one who has welcomed you without condition. 
knowing full well your tendencies towards selfishness, towards immaturity, he has welcomed you. He has broken down the barriers between us and God. He has drawn us to himself. All of the enmity is gone. And with that unconditional, incredible welcome of the Father, we're to now go and welcome others. Without condition. You have to dress a certain way. You have to believe a certain thing. You have to vote a certain way. You have to, no, no conditions. We welcome because Christ has welcomed us. That's the supreme motivation here. As we have been welcomed, we now do the welcoming. But Paul's not done. In verses 8 through 12, he's going to go cosmic. He's going to go all the way back to the beginning. He's going to go through this litany of quotations from the Old Testament, from the historical books, from the law and the prophets and the wisdom literature. And in each place, he is going to say the Gentiles, the ones that you're struggling to be united to, they've meant to be here all along. It's been in my plan from the very beginning that the, the glory of God would fill the earth as the waters covers the sea. It's been my intention, not only that the nation of Israel would be blessed, but that through the nation of Israel, the whole world would be blessed. So he says, Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the, to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Jesus is a servant to the Jews, and he is merciful to the Gentiles because it, he is the ultimate unifier. He is the one who brings these two disparate groups together into one family, into one voice, one mouth of worship and praise. It was his plan from the beginning to unite a people to himself from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group. Folks who look different and act different and talk different, we're all meant to be together in God's family. That was the point from the beginning. And so if you fight over these matters and divide over these matters, not only are you not bringing glory to God, you're failing in the mission that God has given us to bring to the world that we would unite all of these different people from everywhere under one Lord, Jesus Christ. It was his intention from the beginning that these two groups would be united together. And he closes like this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Not only do we have this mission where God is bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles, we have the hope of the resurrection where one day it won't be this flawed unity where we're working so hard to, to accomplish this mission that God has given us. We have the hope of the resurrection where one day God's, Christ's bride will be together. 
will be perfectly united. Sin will be no more and death will be no more. And there will be this beautiful picture of people from all over the place, every corner of the earth, throughout time, joining together in worship and praise of Almighty God. Only he could do this. Only God could have a plan that brings all of these people together. And so we participate now in our small little corner of the world, in our small little ways of trying to keep our unity together, looking in hope to the day where it won't be work anymore. It'll just be unity. It'll just be the bride of Christ in full praise and glory and worship. That, that's motivation. That's a picture of what's coming. And we can bring that now into practice by loving one another, by putting down our rights, by putting down our expectations and our preferences and seeking the good of our neighbor. Lastly, Verse five, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live. This is not something that I want you to go out and sort of whomp up, right? <laughs> like go get after it. As Christ is unified, you go unify. Well, you won't get very far and neither will I. You're gonna trip all over yourself. You're gonna stumble and fall. It'll be a mess. The way this happens is that God, by his spirit, grants it to us. It is a gift of the Father that we could have this unity. If you struggle to have unity with your brothers and sisters, if, if this thing is hard for you, the prayer is not, let me focus more on unity and try to be more united. Your focus is on Jesus. Let me follow him more closely. And as I follow him, unity is a byproduct. As I work to follow him and y'all work to follow him, we learn by his example. We're empowered by his spirit. We're given the grace that we need to forgive. Unity is a byproduct of the grace and mercy that God the Father grants to his people who seek to follow him. May that be true for all of us. Let me pray for us. Lord God, you are kind in all that you do. Would you work by your spirit, expose in our hearts the places where we don't wanna to die to our rights, where we want to assert ourselves, assert our preferences. Father, would you overwhelm us with your grace and mercy. Help us to be people who love you and follow you. And would you make us more united as you do that. Feed us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.